Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of God's Word with you, I would invite you to find Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And just before we settle into this text on the Spirit of God and His work in our lives as an intercessor, I want to read another passage to you from the NLT, which goes like this. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the, the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. In that passage of Scripture, which you can just keep up there for a moment, the Holy Spirit is virtually called the Lord. Did you see that? A couple times even. He is the one who takes the veil that lies on our hearts away so that we can turn and be saved. And he gives us the freedom that we have in Christ. And indeed, the Holy Spirit is the sanctifying force behind every godly change you will ever make in your life. And the end game is in Romans 8, 29. We won't get there today, but that is conformity to Jesus Christ. Utter and complete conformity, and that'll take place when we are glorified, right? I have loved the study of the Holy Spirit these past several weeks. Doing this with you and looking into his works and his inner workings and external workings as well. And yet, because we're subject to the Word of God, by necessity, we will have to move on. Uh, But not before we light upon this last reference to the Spirit of God's work in our lives in this passage of Scripture In this last section of Romans, as we've said before, this is not a practical section. It's a factual section. The Apostle Paul does not give us any commands here uh, or practical applications of how we can apply the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But after the exposition of this passage, I, I will attempt to share with you what I think naturally comes out of it and some thoughts from my heart as we go. As well. But first, the context and then the text itself. Just to keep you up in case you weren't with us, verse 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And we mentioned last week it's an insult to compare whatever you're going through now with what you have to look forward to, right? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom 
of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That is, those who are born again, those who are saved, those who have been regenerated, those who have had a, who entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. And some of you still need to do that. But those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we know this and we groan within ourselves as we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is, we're waiting for the completion of the adoption process. We're waiting for the end game in salvation. And that's when even our bodies get saved. And a lot of your bodies just really need to get saved, okay? Mine too. I figured that was good for a second week in a row. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And now the text itself that we light on today. Likewise, the Spirit helps. He helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings, Too deep for words, literally wordless groanings. That's what the text says. And he who searches the hearts, that would be Father God, by the way, knows what the mind of, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Some 15 years, give or take a year or two, before he would become president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson walked into a barber shop, sat down, was getting his hair cut, when another gentleman came in and sat right next to him, getting his hair cut. And uh, Wilson recorded that every word that was uttered from this gentleman's mouth showed a vital interest in the man that was serving him. Wilson would later write that he realized that he was actually attending an evangelistic service. He was so impressed by the power and the magnitude of this man that the future president decided after his haircut to just sort of linger after the other man paid his bill and left, just to see what the, what the other patrons and the barbers might say. And he realized that though they themselves did not know the man, <clears throat> they spoke very reverently. In fact, Wilson finished by saying, I left that place as one should have left a place of worship. Such was the power of the presence of Dwight L. Moody. Or should we say, the power of God in him, the Holy Spirit's power in him. D.L. Moody will forever be remembered as a great soul winner. One of his critics, this man actually hated him, was quoted to have said that he emptied the population of hell by about a million souls. He was also remembered for his passion for educating young men and young women for ministry. He started no less than four institutes for teaching the Bible 
because of his passion to inculcate truth into young people. Because he knew he, would not be, he wouldn't be around forever. He, he only possessed a fifth grade education. And yet in one of his last letters he ever wrote before he died, he said, quote, he could see what God had done, what he was doing. And he said, I think in one of those institutions being the famous Moody Bible Institute, He said, I think I have some streams started that will flow on forever, unquote. But what is not often considered of his, because of his, that is, amazing evangelistic efforts and successes, was the equally amazing power of God and the Holy Spirit, which made all of those successes possible. The Holy Spirit that Moody believed in, preached in, preached and possessed. In fact, Moody, while impacting great intellects in his day, was not known for having a great intellect. Theologians almost never quote D.L. Moody. Almost never. It's almost below them to quote D.L. Moody. And yet all of them recognize the power of God in his life. It's interesting to me because as I think about Moody, I think about a man who was so possessed by the Spirit of God that he was, he was free to speak whatever he wanted to speak at any moment. In fact, there's a story that he was in a meeting one day and he was sitting there ready to, ready to preach, and some guy got up and said, let us pray, and began to pray a very lengthy prayer, five minutes, ten minutes long. He was still praying. This is recorded by a, man, by a, a brilliant young medical student who was not a Christian, who came to hear Moody and was absolutely bored stiff by this man's prayers and mentions of God and all of this. The man, the medical student, recorded that Moody got up in the middle of the prayer and said to the audience, let's all sing a hymn while our brother is finishing up his prayer. (laughs) And they did. He was so struck by Moody's willingness to defy the reverential protocol of that day that he decided to stay for the meeting. He was saved and started a multitude of medical institutions around the world for Jesus Christ and gave credit to the power of God in D.L. Moody. As I suggested the last time we were together in this text, it's high time that we quit being so squeamish and fearful about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. There is something both powerful and evident of God when the Spirit of God is at work. I was in a Bible study just the other day, and uh, one of the individuals in the Bible study, with her permission, they were assigned to read through 1 John, all of these individuals, brand new Christians, and, and, uh, and they read through 1 John, and I said, do you have anything to share? Well, not really, just something, that I, but it was really kind of significant for me, and I said, well, why don't you share it? And she went on to confess an idol that loomed very large in her life. But when she came upon 1 John 1, 9, that says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God, the Holy Spirit, just broke her 
and caused her to repent, and she was on her knees crying out to God for a long period of time, asking for forgiveness and forsaking that idol. It was very evident the power of God in her life. Don't you want that power? Don't you want that experience when you come into the Word of God, which is authored by the Spirit of God, by the way? The work of the Spirit is incredibly multifaceted. We mentioned these multifaceted ways in which the Spirit is working right now. He restrains sin in this world. He convicts sinners. He regenerates people who are dead in their sins. He baptizes people, placing them, that is, invisibly, spiritually speaking, into the body of Christ. He indwells us. He becomes the seal upon our hearts. He gifts us to serve Jesus and bring unity to the body of Christ. He fills us to control us. He sanctifies us by setting us apart for the pur- God's purposes. He illumines us so we can understand truth, turning the light on. He guides us. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He comforts us when we're struggling. And today, we see that he intercedes for us. He's the greatest teacher you'll ever sit under. A few years ago, my son came to me. I was upset because he was failing in one of his math classes, having got like an A in it the semester before. I said, you don't go from getting an A to getting an F unless you have completely checked out. He said, it's not true, Dad. I said, you better explain to me. He said, Dad, he said, when, when Mr. Volker, our missionary, by the way, to Portugal, when he was teaching math, I understood it. But he left for the mission field, and this person that came in, I don't understand anything she's saying. And he, he was sincere, and it was all about the teacher. The math was the same, but the teacher made the difference. You'll never sit under a greater teacher than the Spirit of God. On the other hand, you'll never be assisted by a greater helper than the Spirit of God. In fact, he's literally called a helper in a lot of passages of Scripture. And I just, want to re- I just want to review these with you from John's Gospel. Look with me, if you will, at several passages. It says, Jesus is talking. He says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another, say it, say it, helper to be with you forever. It's the word parakletots. That's the word one called alongside to help you in your time of need. But it's rightly interpreted helper. Even the spirit of truth, because the world cannot receive him, because it either sees him or knows him. You know him. He dwells. With you, he will be in you. And aren't you glad? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Stay there for a minute. The word another next to the word helper is the word which is the word Allah. It's the word which means another of the exact same kind. What Jesus was telling his disciples was, I'm not sending, when I leave, I'm not sending the B team. I'm sending an exact representation of myself. The Holy Spirit. Here's another text later on. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I was still with you. But the, say it, the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. By the way, the world does give a kind of peace. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Here's another one. 
But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then the very next chapter says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And while the word helper isn't used in this next text, here's what it says, just sort of completing the thought process of Jesus. When the spirit of truth comes, he's our helper, right? We got that, right? He will guide you into all truth. He will, he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit of God is taking the words of Jesus and is, he's making them make sense to us as he guides us along the way. Now, our text says, likewise, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The word likewise connects us to the context. That's why I read verses 18 through, through 25. There's a lot of groaning going on around here. Did you notice that? There are three different groanings in this section. He says that the creation groans, believers groan, and now the Holy Spirit's groaning. He also emphasizes the fact that there's eager waiting. We're all eagerly, the creation's eagerly waiting. We're eagerly waiting. And every time that phrase eagerly waiting is used, by the way, it's always referring to the return of Christ. We're not told the Spirit is eagerly waiting, but James tells us that he yearns zealously for us. Now, at any rate, the word likewise directly connects to hope, the word hope in the, in the, the preceding verses. You know, hope that is seen is not hope, right? Who hopes for what he already sees, right? And the idea here is Paul is saying very simply that, listen to this, listen carefully. Paul is saying very simply that just as hope, that is the absolute confidence that one day all of this struggle is going to end. Can I get an amen? The Spirit of God helps us with groaning, wordless groaning. I've noticed that I hear a lot of groaning. I mean, it's, a, it's, just one of the, it's just the lot of a pastor. You hear a lot of joy, and you hear a lot of groaning. I notice that the groaning I hear is either from those who are really physically hurting or older, more feeble people. I don't hear, unless they're hurting, I don't hear a lot of groaning from 20 and 30-somethings very often. I don't, know, I don't hear them crying out for Jesus to come rescue them right here and now. You like life too much, right? You're making plans, thinking about traveling, buying that new stuff, doing this, doing that, enjoying life. Who can blame you, right? Life is good. Groaning? Nah. It's good. Spurgeon once wrote, Christians often want to die when they have any trouble. Ask them why, and they will tell you, because we would be with the Lord, unquote. 
We fear it is not because so much because they are longing to be with the Lord as because they desire to get rid of their troubles. Or else they would feel the same wish to die at other times when not under pressure of trial. They want to go home, not so much for the Savior's company, but just to be at rest, unquote. E. The truth is, though, I think Charlie's being a little hard on people here, maybe. Some of you are deeply struggling. You're struggling with aging, some of you, and all of its accompanying debilitating aspects. You're struggling with your family. You're struggling with your marriage. You're struggling with your kids. You're struggling with decisions that you have to make. You're struggling with your sins and character issues in your life that you refuse to deal with, and that creates a struggle. Or maybe it's a character issue that you're starting to see, and you're just, there's just a struggle there. Some of you are struggling with your health. We have a woman in our church, Cheryl Wilson, we announced at the church a few weeks ago, has cancer. She went down, had surgery. She's got about six weeks of chemo down, down the Houston area. She's struggling. Nick Long, he's one of our youngins. He's got a chronic disease. He's looking at a surgery. He's struggling. Our own Kevin Thomas, Pastor Kevin, after that heart attack and stroke, is struggling. For these and a thousand other weaknesses... God says you have hope. Without which we, all that we have to endure would be unbearable, right? But here's something very important for you to know. In this section, he's saying we have more than hope. We have help. Help from God. Help from the helper himself. What's a helper supposed to do? But help, right? The word help, that word help there, it it literally means to take hold or to take hold with at the side. It's kind of a wooden translation. But it it conveys the idea of joining somebody to help. That's why he's called the parakletos, the one called alongside to help. That's not the same word, but it's the idea there. Um, Every year we have a retreat, a pastor and deacon retreat. And every one of them are great. They're so necessary, not just for information, but for just the heart things that go on in these retreats. And I think this weekend was the greatest one we've had in, in the 16 years I've been here. I mean, that's, it was amazing. And we've had some epic, epic weekends. The openness, the transparency, the humility, the repentance, and gratitude were at the highest levels I've ever experienced them. And just heartfelt love, Really. And I would add freedom, the likes of which I I haven't experienced in a long time. I 
asked them to share challenges that God had made in each one of their lives. And Norm Borst, one of our deacons, and with his permission, I share this with you. He told, he had a heart attack, by the way. Do you know that? He's back on his feet. Praise God. Right, Jan? But he had a real heart attack. He's walking around the mall one day and getting ready to, he's telling the story, getting ready to make another circle. And just suddenly he felt this pain. And he sensed the very presence of God and the direction of God. Because he himself thought, well, maybe I should just shrug this off and keep going. But God basically said to him, it's time for you to get this thing taken care of. Next thing he knew, he was in the hospital getting it taken care of. While he was there, he said he saw, uh, he was just contemplating how God had interacted with him to get him there, to save his life. And he saw in the therapy area, people, a, a nurse helping another patient with one arm around the patient's side and the other arm hand with his hand in the patient's hand and just helping him walk. You've seen that. You've, we've all seen that. But for Norm, that was a picture of God in his life. That was a picture of the Spirit of God coming alongside, helping him to get through that time. Paul says there are times we don't know how to pray. Have you been there? We've been there, right? I've been there. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But as the godly author of Pilgrim's Progress once said, Better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Take comfort. Listen carefully. Take comfort that there is no condemnation. We already heard that in verse 1, right? There's no condemnation. Amen? And there is further no condemnation for these times of temporal confusion. If we always knew just how we were to pray, what kind of a faith walk would that be? Sometimes we just don't know. It is enough to know that there is help for those troubled times. And by the way, these times where you're struggling and you don't know how to pray in this situation that you're in, these times were intended by God to be times where he deepens your walk like never before and, and will actually lead you to new, new, fresh surrenders to God. When my two youngest, I had them up here on this platform a few weeks ago and sort of exploiting their past, I realized, but I, I don't know who's being more exploited, them or me, but anyway... There was a particular night in my life, and it was a life-changing night for me. Years, a few years back, a life-changing night. I will never forget, and it had to do with my youngest. He was gone, and he, I didn't know where he was. I had to preach the next day, and I was filled with anxiety. And I was laying in bed, and kind of talking to God, but really, I just absolutely sensed God speaking directly to my spirit. And basically, what he said to me was this, you're not trusting me. You say you're trusting me, 
But let me make something clear to you. You're not. And your anxious spirit is evidence to that end. And I can remember absolutely being confronted by God in that moment. And I repented. I sought his forgiveness. And I sensed that God was asking me this question. Are you ready for this? The question was, will you treasure me more than the restoration of your son? And I knew what the right answer was. But my spirit, for the first time, said, yes, God. I will treasure you more than the life of my son. And that fresh surrender in that struggling moment changed my life. It changed my life. My son didn't get better. He got worse. But today, having trusted Christ, his life versus your loving kindness is better than life. Therefore, my lips will glorify you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Your loving kindness is what? It's better than life. And so these times when we struggle and we don't know how to pray, these are times where we enter into or could enter into if we play our cards right. Deeper surrenders to God. He reveals sins that you don't even see in your own life. That was a sin, and I didn't even see it. Did he change my son? Yes, he did. But not before he changed me. Which begs the question, what does all this mean? If we take this word help literally, and we should, I think it means that the Spirit actually enters into our groaning. What do you think of that? We don't groan alone. We never, never alone. Remember, Jesus, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm sending you the Spirit, right? And remember when he said before he ascended into heaven, I, I will never leave you nor what? Forsake you. Is it possible that he was thinking about not simply himself, but the Spirit of God? I think so. And the middle voice in the Greek, by the way, means that the Holy Spirit takes the initiative. Here's the point. In other words, we're not asking him to help. There is not a command here. There's no command in this text to say, Oh, Spirit, start doing your groaning thing right now. He just helps. He just does. There have been times in my life where I have felt intensely alone. When I first got saved, I felt intensely alone. When my wife died, I felt intensely alone. And in those times, dazed and confused, sometimes opposed, with no one to turn to, experiences of this unusual peace of God that he's helping me, and a genuine sense that he's taking my messed up, screwed up, and even sinful prayers. Because whether you like it or not, your prayers are messed up, screwed up, and sinful most, if not all the time. That's why we need his help. Right? That's why we need his help. 
In fact, when he says in verse 27, just look at that for a moment. He says, and he who searches the hearts, this is Father God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father God and the Spirit are working in perfect tandem here, communicating with one another. And the present tenses of the word help and intercedes means that this is a continually ongoing process because I continually need his help, I continually need his intercession, and so do you. When our oldest daughter was just like three, She got her mom and I to come into the room because she'd made her bed for the first time. So, you know, we went in there. We're proud parents, you know. We walk in there, and there's the bed. She's got the pillow underneath the the bedspread for sure. You know, some of the the sheets are coming out off the side, and it's up here and wrinkled all over the place, and she's just beaming. We took a picture of her. She's just smiling away because she made her bed. And we praised her, you know, and all that. And I walked out with her, and I was praising her as I walked out with her, and I saw Nina circle back into the room, and I saw her straightening out all the wrinkles, pulling the sheet back where it needed to be, making the bed the way it needs to be. And as I made my way into the living room, I thought, God, this is exactly what you do with my messed up prayers. You straighten them out. You take the wrinkles out, and you present them just the way they need to be when they get to Father God. So here is the thought the Lord gave me. I'll I'll conclude with. Even if your prayers aren't uttered by you in the will of God, we are assured that by the Spirit, they will get to God that way. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful today that we can bless your name. That we can praise you for your work in our midst. That we can understand your work in the person of your Holy Spirit, a little bit more. And yet, Lord, we we acknowledge that this is sacred territory and we can't, there's no way we can really understand this. Thank you for not making any commands here, just telling us that there's a truth here that we need to embrace, that even when we struggle, you're not struggling. But in, in in some strange way, Lord, you enter into our struggles and groan, Spirit of God, on words that are just inexpressible. Not even words, really. And somehow or another, Lord, we see that in the inner workings of the Godhead, you take these messed up lives and these messed up prayers of ours as we take our messes and put them before you. And you straighten them out. And you make them perfect in your will. And thank you, Spirit of God, for that. I pray, our Father, for those who are here that 
have no real experience being led by you. They have doctrine. They have a sort of intellectual belief, but they've never really been saved. They've never had their hearts changed. And that might be you. You may have been a member of this church for 20, 30, 40 years, and you've never been saved. You know about salvation, but it's never been a reality. And maybe you're thinking, Lord, I don't know. This is so foreign to me. It doesn't have to be. If you would truly humble your prideful heart right now and just ask God to forgive you, And if you would believe that he sent Jesus, his son, to die for you and rise again for you, and if you would from your heart embrace him right now, then the spirit of God would come. In fact, maybe he's working right now to open up that heart of yours. And then for those of you who are Christians, you love Jesus, but uh, you're struggling. Man, there's just something just weighing so heavy on your, your mind right now. You can't get it off of your mind. You, it's pictured. He's pictured. She's pictured. They're pictured. It's pictured. Some of you feel this struggle in your body. You, you, can't just, you can't ignore it because it's just always there, just pounding at you. There's help. There's help. If you love Jesus, you know him as your Savior, there's help, and he will enter in. Be encouraged by that. And Lord, we'll bless you for what you're going to do. In Christ's name, amen.